Amen. We return to our series in Exodus. I want to invite you to turn to Exodus chapter 20. We're going to look this morning at just the first two verses of Exodus chapter 20. Listen to the word of the Lord. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, we give you praise, glory, honor, and thanks today. We worship you. We thank you for your word and for how you work um, through your word by the power of the Spirit, Lord, to do that work in us, to co- conform us into the image of your Son and our Lord. So, Father, we come in his name and by the power of the Spirit asking you to do that work in us this morning. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, In Deuteronomy 7, as Moses is preparing the people uh, to enter into the promised land and reminding them of the covenant God has made with them and his instructions for them in the land, he he tells them this. He says in verse 6, for you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. You will remember these words because they are what uh, God promises they will be in Exodus chapter 19 as he enters into covenant with them. In this word, there, there is a reminder that God, in manifesting his salvation and his kingdom in this world, has chosen to work through a particular people whom he has redeemed by his own power and grace. And this community is is called out by God's grace and is then set in the midst of the nations as uh, the the only true alternative to the kingdoms of this world, who in their sin all bend in one way or another toward Babel. They all bend toward rebellion toward pride, toward idolatry, of making a name, a name for themselves. Uh, We've been toward the idolatry of making a name for ourselves over against God, which always ends up in destructive, oppressive, and disastrous consequences that sin produces. In fact, it was over against this first expression of, uh, uh, of, this, that, of this at the Tower of Babel and the city that human beings were seeking to build around it that, that God set in motion uh, his plan to call out a community for himself that would be the answer to the sinfulness and foolishness of, of Babel. To Abraham, who was then Abram, God made this promise, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors, I, dis, him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Genesis 12, verses 3, uh, uh, 2 and 3. What I'm saying here is that Mount Sinai is a continuation of God's unfolding plan to establish that community. 
that people, that nation, which will be a witness to all the nations of the earth, that God's salvation and his kingdom is the answer to what sin has done to God's world and what the kingdoms of this world try but are not able to answer. Indeed, Egypt itself was just another attempt to build a Babel, and that attempt led to what it always leads to in the end, more rebellion, more pride, more oppression, more injustice, more sin. Were it not for the restraining and governing grace of God in this world left to our own devices, we would destroy everything in our sin. And so God, so God in the same grace calls out a people and says, through you I am going to display the power of my salvation and the glory of my rule in this world. I'm going to dwell with you and teach you my ways, and through you I'm going to display what humanity created in my image is meant to look like. This is the context in which the law is given. And it's important, it's important to understand if we are going to understand the law itself. These are not arbitrary rules. No, these are the very words of life, the life that God intends for humanity in relationship with Him and in relationship with each other, the life that the nations of this earth can't fully produce because they don't know the giver of this life. This is the law of which Jesus himself says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. In other words, says Jesus, I have come to do what you in your sinfulness cannot do, to keep this law, to deliver you from its penalty by taking upon myself the punishment that it promises to all those who don't keep it, which is every single one of us. In order, in order, in order, Jesus says, that you might hope in me through the power of the Spirit and might be empowered now to walk in this life that God calls you to. Why? Because, brothers and sisters, in the new covenant, the call to be God's special nation among the nations is not removed but fulfilled. What was in seed form at Sinai is now brought to full flowering in Jesus as people from among all the nations are brought into the church and then set amidst all the nations of the earth to demonstrate through the power and presence of Jesus by His Spirit, the power of God's salvation and the power of God's kingdom over all the kingdoms of this earth. As we now, through the Spirit, put into practice the principles taught in God's law, the principles that Jesus sums up as love for God and love for neighbor, we show the world that there is an alternative to oppression and injustice in our relationships with each other. We show them that there's an alternative to our rebellion and idolatry against God. We show them the way of life that is in union with Jesus Christ, the one who is making everything new through his death and resurrection from the grave. Mount Sinai is important because it is there in the Ten Commandments, which would become the 601 Commandments, which would later be summed up in the two greatest commandments, that we begin to see the life that God wants for us and for His world, the life He will secure through the work of His Son and our Lord Jesus Christ. It's this life that we are called to show people. And so as, begin to, as we begin to look into this law of life, I want to start by looking at this uh, preamble to the covenant in verse 1 and 2 how it relates to the law in general before looking one by one at the Ten Commandments themselves. So what does God teach us? What does He teach us 
in this word about his law and his word in these words of these opening of this these opening verses. Well, first and foremost, brothers and sisters, the law of God is a testimony to God's place as king. The law of God is a testimony to God's place as king. It seems clear from the text that God spoke the words of this law directly to the whole Israelite community without the mediation of Moses. That is, the people heard the voice of God themselves. Verse 19 supports this, for after hearing the voice, the people said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. And the ancient Near East covenants made between a king and his vassals conveyed the words of that king uh, to his people. And in keeping with how those covenants were made, God speaks directly to his people, uh, his words, his instructions for how they are to live their lives as his covenant people. And the message could not be clearer. Israel's king is none other than God himself, the maker of heaven and earth. Indeed, the way God descended on the mountain was to leave no doubt that Israel was not dealing with a powerful human being as they had with Pharaoh, and they are not dealing with a local deity believed to have power over specific parts of the creation, even though no, no such gods ever existed or exist now. No, God's complete envelopment of this mountain was another indication, along with what they had already seen in all of God's acts on their behalf, that they were speaking to the king of all the earth who is now speaking directly to them as he draws them into formal relationship with himself as his very own people to display his kingdom to the nations around them. Thus, every time Israel heard God's law spoken, every time they meditated upon it, and every time they worked to put it into practice, they were reminded of who their king truly was, to whom they owed their ultimate allegiance, and from whom the blessings of true life actually flowed. And for all of us who have put our hope on Jesus, who calls us to keep his commandments, commandments that are a fulfillment of this moral law of God summed up in these Ten Commandments, we are reminded like God's people of old who our true king really is, who the Lord over our lives truly is, to whom we owe our allegiance, and from whom all the blessings of life flow. Hearing the words of our Lord should cause us to declare with the disciples who speak these words or spoke these words to their Lord when everyone else was turning away from him. Lord, they said, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And so as we hear, as we read, as we meditate upon, and as we put into practice the commandments of our Lord, we are reminded who our true king really is, who the true king of all the earth really is. That God commands us, that, that God's commands to us are a reminder that he is king is a call to us to make following the king's commands a focus of our lives. And here's the truth that all of us in this room know. We are living by somebody's rules. We are living by someone's commands. 
We are either living by our own precepts or the precepts of the world around us or some other person or entity, but someone's commands are driving the way that we live our lives in this world. Yet for us as Christians, our our moral compass, our economic compass, our relational compass, our social compass should be guided by the commands of our Lord, commands summed up in loving our God and loving our neighbor. So the question really for you this morning is who is really guiding your life? Whose commands are you really living by? Whose precepts are you really following? Whose laws are you really giving yourself to? Are they the laws of your own heart? Are they the laws of the world around you? Are they the laws of some entity you have connected yourself to? Who is really guiding the moral compass of your life? Who is really guiding the economic compass of your life? The way you relate to other people, the way you relate to God. Whose commands are you following? Who do you listen to about what brings honor to God, about what brings honor to your neighbor? And I say this to you with the encouragement that the Scriptures teach us what is right in both those relationships. It teaches us what is right in our relationship with God. It teaches us what is right in our relationship with one another. And so when we are failing in either of these relational directions, it's not because the king has left us without instruction. It's rather because we sometimes don't like the king's instructions. We like our own, or we like the ones of the world around us. But the law is a reminder that we have a king who has given us guidance on how to live in this world in relationship to him and in relationship to others. Amen, people of God. As, as the preachers used to say, if you don't say amen, the lights will. It's all good. So the law of God, the law of God, it's a testimony to God's place as king. It's also a testimony that we are God's nation. It's a testimony that God is king. It's a testimony that we are God's nation. Listen uh, to the first part of verse 2. I am the Lord, your God. I am the Lord, your God. These words function as a preamble to God's covenant with Israel, and in them is a statement not only about who God is, but who Israel is in relationship to the Lord. God isn't just the Lord in general, but, but, but in covenant with His people, He is our God. Therefore, as His covenant people, we, we are drawn into a special relationship with our Lord. We, we are His treasured possession. We are His priestly kingdom. We are His holy nation. And, and the giving of the law is a statement of that fact. God, in covenant with us, is entrusting His Word to us, a Word we are meant to embody in our life together as His people in order that people from among the nations might be drawn to Him through our embodiment of that law. The giving of the law is therefore a testimony to Israel's privileged position at this time in in the redemptive story. God is entrusting her with something that no other nation has been entrusted with. Thus, every time Israel heard the law read, meditated upon it, sought to put it into practice, they were reminded of this special privilege that was given to them 
by the king of all the earth. No, it didn't make them more valuable than other people's, but it spoke to the privileged call they had received to be the bearers of this word of life, the word that they needed and that the nations around them needed. And we now, we now, those of us sitting in this room, God's people who are gathered to worship Him across this city, God's people who have gathered across the world to worship Him, we, we now, as recipients of the new covenant through faith in Jesus, are now the bearers of an even greater calling and privilege for now in Jesus. We are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We, we are the bearers of that same law of life summed up by Jesus when he says, and he said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two depend all the law and the prophets. And we are now, as the church, no longer confined to one geographical location calling the nations to us, but rather we are those set among all the peoples of the earth to embody God's law, to show those around us what life looks like when it is lived in obedience to Christ and His gospel to the commandments of love that He calls us to. What saddens me, brothers and sisters, is how often we allow the world to use us for its agendas, how we allow them to co-opt our message, turning our special privilege and relationship to God into a diminished political, economic, national privilege, one in which God's words of life get turned into weapons of warfare against those we don't like or who don't like us or who don't talk like us, or who aren't from our region, or our people, or our club. We, we are a chosen people, brothers and sisters, precisely because we proclaim not ourselves, not our own agenda, but the excellencies of Him who called us out of darkness into His marvelous light, the light of the law of love for Him and for our neighbors. And so, can, can, I, just, can I just encourage us to, to not throw away our privilege for a few pieces of silver, or a political victory, or a national prominence. We are God's nation through faith in Jesus and have been giving, given our marching orders from Him, not the world. We are God's people. We are His priesthood. We are His holy nation. Part of the danger for us as Christians in this world. It's the same danger that Israel faced in her day. We, we don't want to be different in the way God calls us to be different. We, we want to be like the nations of the earth. God is giving His people, He is giving His people the law at Mount Sinai, and He's calling them to a different way of life. He's calling them to be different from all of the nations around them. And you know the story. They are not even going to make it out of the shadow of the mountain before they start behaving like the nations of the earth, worshiping a golden calf as their redeemer instead of the Lord. Why? It's because in our sin, we bend toward Babel. We want to be great. We don't want to be different. 
Because we don't want to be considered weak. We don't want to be isolated, marginalized. We don't want to be like our Lord and be hated by the world because we're not like them. We bend toward the greatness that we think Babel will secure for us. And so, even as Christians, we want to be associated with power. We want to be associated with those who are in power because we believe that that is the way to blessing and peace. We don't want to be that special nation, that nation that is different because it doesn't live by the logic of the nations of this earth, but by the logic of the kingdom of God, a kingdom that tells us to love our God and to love our neighbors as ourselves. To love our neighbors, including our enemies. A kingdom that tells us to be generous toward the poor and to associate ourselves with them rather than with the powerful of the earth. We don't want to be different. We don't want to be special if it means we can't be powerful, if it means we can't sit on the throne of power in our world. A kingdom that tells us not to murder our neighbor, not to commit adultery with them, not to steal from them, not to bear false witness against them or covet their life. To be God's nation is to live different from the nations of the earth. So look at your own life and ask, do do I live like the nations or do I live like I'm a part of God's nation? Do the things that the Lord Jesus called me to, are those really the priorities of my life? Or do I just want to look like everybody else, just with a different label on? I promise you, I promise you that every one of us in this room, including the, 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 the preacher who is preaching to you right now, Every one of us will find places where the Spirit can help us live more consistently with who we are as citizens of the nation of God. Every single one of us can find places where we need to grow and where we need to learn to distinguish ourselves from everybody else. Amen, people of God. The law of God is a testimony that God is king. It's a testimony that we are God's nation. The law of God is also a testimony that we are no longer slaves. Listen to the second half of verse two. Who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. The last part of this verse can, can actually technically be read, the house of slaves, who has brought you out of the house of slaves. And I think it's important to say it that way because Egypt didn't just represent bondage for Israel, but in a way it represented bondage for everyone caught up in that system of oppression. Remember that when Israel went up from Egypt, the text in, 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 in chapter 12 of Exodus, verse 38, it says this, a mixed multitude also went up with them and very much livestock both flocks and herds. Those people who went up with Israel, those other nations who went up with Israel out of Egypt, didn't leave for no reason. They didn't leave because they just wanted to change the scenery. 
or a new experience in another part of the world. They, they left because they too were marginalized in Egyptian society. They too were second-class citizens in the land. I showed you that when we looked at Genesis 43, where Joseph eats by himself and his brothers by themselves and the Egyptians by themselves because it was detestable for the Egyptians to eat with anyone other than their own people. And so now realize that those standing before this mountain, those standing before this mountain listening to these words would not just have been ethnic Hebrews, but those who were from those other peoples who were attaching themselves now to the covenant that God was making with his people. That meant ethnic Jews as well as the other nations were standing before this mountain as God made this covenant. Now they are all of them being reminded that they have been free from a system that exploited them, that diminished them, that mistreated them, and being brought into a kingdom where they were now, where they, where they are now spoken of as treasured, where they are now spoken of as royalty, where they are now spoken of as holy. They are, they are no longer slaves of Pharaoh. They have been brought out of the house of the bondage, and now God identifies them as treasured as royal, as holy. They are now servants of God. Thus, every time they heard the law, every time they meditated upon it or put it into practice, they would be reminded in it that they were no longer slaves, but they were a community for God called to walk in their relationships in that freedom from bondage that was now theirs through God's work on their behalf. God in His grace had delivered them from slavery, and now they were his own people, treasured, royal, holy. Tomorrow, we will celebrate Martin Luther King Jr.'s birthday, and as I reflect upon his legacy, I am moved to see in it a man who was trying to free people, and especially Christians, from their slavery. I am more aware today that folk who are in bondage to their own sins often give themselves over to binding others. I'll say this again, that those who are in bondage to their own sin often give themselves over to binding others. But people who know freedom want to see others free. People who have tasted the freedom of God in Christ want to see others freed. And who knows freedom better than Christians? It is why our legacy of slavery in this land is so lamentable. It's lamentable because many of those who proclaim their freedom from bondage participated in the binding of others. This ought never to be so. Instead, may the church be known as that community that seeks to free people into the fullness of life that God grants to all those that hope in Him. Such a life doesn't bind people, but it works towards people's freedom. That's what we see in the Ten Commandments. By the way, that's what you see in your Lord. Your Lord, who is setting people free from sin and death, is also setting their bodies free. Your Lord, who set people free from sin and death, is also the Lord who broke bread and fed the hungry, who multiplied, multiplied fish and fed the hungry. Your Lord, who frees people from sin and death, is also the Lord who draws the poor into His family, 
who draw, draws the non-Jew into his family, who draws people from among all the nations into his family. Your Lord, who set people free from sin and death, is the Lord who also sets people free from the brokenness of this life and the injustices in it. Part of the, part, part of the feature part of the feature of the whole law of God that he's going to give to his people in the Mosaic Covenant. It includes a reminder that they were slaves in Egypt. Do not deprive the foreigner or the fatherless of justice or take the cloak of the widow as a pledge. Remember, 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 remember that you were slaves in Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. This is why I command you to do this. Deuteronomy 24. And so the point is this, that people who have been freed are to participate in a way of life that brings freedom to others. People who have been freed are to participate in a way of life that sets others free. Yes, the most important freedom people need is the freedom from sin and death. God forbid that those who receive our good works in this life toward securing freedom would miss the kingdom of God. Yet God calls us to do work, good works that bring freedom into people's lives that they might see those good works and glorify God, hopefully turning their own lives over to the king. And there are plenty of opportunities for us, New City, individually and collectively, to participate in setting others free right here in our own city. From homelessness to crisis pregnancy to helping immigrants and refugees to addressing poverty, racial divisions, and more. The world is broken, which means the opportunities to participate in God's good work of setting people free are legion. So let's be a church that participates in those good works to the glory of God, our Lord and Savior. Amen. As we look at the commandments and God's covenant relationship with us, we're reminded through them first that God is our king. We're reminded that it is God who sets the commands that lead our lives and that his commands lead to life. Second, we're reminded through God's commands that we are God's nation, that we belong first and foremost to the Lord. Therefore, we are to be different from the nations of the earth in the way that we relate to God and in the way that we relate to each other. And lastly, we learn through these commands that we are no longer slaves. We have been freed from sin and death and therefore called to live in this world as free people who participate in good works to proclaim freedom of, the freedom of God the freedom that he has come to grant to us and to all who put their faith in the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And let me end by saying this. It is Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, who has secured our freedom through his sacrifice of himself on our behalf, that we might walk in the freedom of the commands of our Lord. Amen, people of God. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I pray this morning that you would indeed, by the power of your Spirit, move in us, work in us to believe, 
to trust, to hope, to follow the commands that you have given us. Lord Jesus, you have told us that if we love you, we will keep your commandments. So I pray that you would teach us, Lord God, by the power of your spirit, how to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, with all our strength, and that we would, by the power of your spirit, love our neighbor as ourselves. Jesus, you told us that on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. And so what we see in the Ten Commandments, what we see in the Mosaic Covenant, Lord, all of the law of God is toward that purpose of teaching us how to love you and how to love each other. So help us by the power of the Spirit to do just that in our day, that people might see, see our embodiment of your commands, Lord, and that they might run to you for salvation. For you are Lord, and beside you there is no other. In Jesus' name we pray and ask this. Amen.